0: CloudCast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the CloudCast with Aaron Dell and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the CloudCast. Uh, Just myself tonight, Aaron is uh, off in Seattle. Uh, Before we jump into tonight's show, I want to give a huge thank you to our audience, um, who we consider really kind of the best tech community in the world. Uh, We were a little behind as of a few weeks ago. You guys came through. You stepped up big. Uh, We've exceeded our $5,000 goal for the Krispy Kreme run for the North Carolina Children's Hospital. So from Aaron and from me, huge thank you to everybody. Uh, We'll be posting lists of donors and all sorts of stuff, but uh, thank you. Thank you so much. So... um, First, I had to do thank yous, and now I've got to do apologies, because tonight's guests are, are two guys who have been great friends of the show, uh, friends in the community, and two people that Aaron and I have been incredibly slack about having as guests on the show. So uh, Greg Neerman from Speaking in Tech, and Stu Miniman from Wikibon. Guys, welcome to the show, and uh, our deepest apologies for it taking this long to finally get you on the show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I guess it's a, it's a pleasure and an honor now, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I can't uh, read
1: you anymore about it.
0: We're we're not we're not very good southern gentlemen that we haven't invited you on any earlier than this. But uh, thank you both for coming on tonight.
2: So so glad we can finally do it, Brian.
0: Absolutely. So um, so you know I was thinking about this because uh, one of the things we were going to talk about tonight was sort of like uh, uh, you know uh, disruption and, and things changing and commoditization and stuff. And I was thinking you know I don't I don't know a lot of little kids these days who have the name Brian Greg or Stu. So oh. just ourselves, we're becoming sort of dinosaurs from a naming perspective. That's an interesting observation. I've never thought about that like that. You've got all sorts of, you know, uh, you know, everybody's little kid has to have sort of a common, you know, kind of a unique name. We used to have lots of Daves and Mikes and Gregs and Johns and Stews. And, they just don't exist anymore. I'm I going to change my name up. to Tyler then. There you go. Or Forrest or something. <laughs> <The> Forrest. <laughs> So let's so let's talk about dis- Let's start by talking about disruption. You guys both, uh, you know, heavily involved uh, in the enterprise space, in cloud, in you know, in tech. But, you know, you also kind of are involved, um, you know, with, with what's going on in disruptions. Stu, you were yeah, well, you weren't necessarily out there, but you were covering the Open Compute Project, uh, which is sort of becoming like the gigantic open hardware project. Um, what's going on? Is 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 all hardware completely commoditized at this point?
2: Well, I believe all hardware is now owned by Lenovo so uh, <laughs> There's that too. you know they picked up uh, IBM 686 and now they're picking, over the, picking up the Motorola stuff from Google so yeah absolutely uh, it is really interesting times for the hardware business uh, and you know especially being an infrastructure guy um, it, it's fascinating to watch how some of these disruptions are coming to the market and you know s- some changes happening fast I mean you Open Compute this week it was the f- fifth of these conferences uh, Zuckerberg himself was on stage uh, talking about about some of the things there and you know who would have thought just a couple of years ago you know Facebook is an important player in infrastructure discussions so uh, you know it just kind of blows our mind
0: so so Greg you're, you know you're, you you keep up with this a lot you're, your company my company we're both sort of to a certain extent in the hardware business are you yeah. seeing this trickle down at all yet into the enterprise or are these just you know big shows for the web scale people at this point
1: well you know I, I've got some opinions of, of, about that show and to me in my opinion it, it really is a great way for Facebook to get everybody to standardize on designs so they can buy hardware cheaper yeah <laughs> and, and, and the community at large benefits from that I suppose but I don't see many companies enterprise companies um, really buying those at scale um, there's a lot of commodity servers don't get me wrong uh, but to to Facebook design specifications I
2: I don't see it that much I'm sure it's yeah. happening but it, yeah, I, Craig I say and I, it's Yeah I- it's common I, I would totally agree with you. If you look at you know who this benefits today, it's Facebook. Microsoft made some interesting news that they actually uh, gave a design that they had applied for a patent to Open Compute. So Microsoft, obviously for Azure, wants to commoditize hardware too. Um, but it's these you know the web scale, hyperscale guys, maybe some of the big financials, and it will take a long time for it to even trickle down a little bit to the enterprise. When we're talking about the uh, you know the the OCP servers themselves.
0: Yeah, that, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Is I, I get everybody who wants to compete with Google in essence, right? Because they're they're you're you're competing on a you know pennies per click and pennies per kilowatt. But yeah, I, I'm kind of curious. Like, what's the what's the break even number? Like, how many servers do you have to have before this makes sense? Or how many servers do you have to buy from someone like Quant?a You know, is it is it two two shipping containers full? Is it ten? Is it can you buy a half a shipping container? Like, where does it start? That's that's the piece I'm kind of curious, and I never really hear that discussed anywhere.
2: Yeah, and Brian, it's actually something that I, I've been keeping an eye on. Uh, if you talk in the, uh, the the networking space, you know, white box switches, what Cumulus and Pika 8, some of those guys are doing. Uh, It's not only how many you're going to buy, but how often you're going to need to grow and uh, update your environment. So service providers, you know, great for them to do this. Uh, Enterprise that's going to buy 10 switches today and not upgrade them for five years, you know, probably not going to happen. So it's that that rate of change and the growth. If you're not uh, deploying, you know, racks and racks and racks of stuff or building new data centers on a regular, fairly often basis, uh, you know, this might not be for you, you know, today or for the next year or two.
1: Yeah. So, it's it's interesting from like a hobby perspective, right? right. To see how they're boiling this stuff down, yeah. um, and I think there's a lot a lot to be learned from that. So I don't mean to diminish it that way, but you know, I think the, the the end benefit directly to the enterprise is, is quite a way off.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I could see the other the other side of this. I could see this benefiting somebody like Dell, who you know sort of has said, "Look, I, you know, I'm, I'm more in the supply chain business than I am in the." in the technology business for servers and so forth. And, you know, I could, I'll take advantage of sort of, in essence, free R&D or free engineering doesn't mean I necessarily have to sell it at that scale, but, but they may be one of the ones from a name perspective that could take advantage of this.
2: Yeah, and, and actually one other thing I, I put on that, when enterprises look at this and they say, gosh, I'm not gonna buy an OCP server or I'm not gonna build to the web scale. Um, there was discussion about data centers in general and how do you get you know, really low PUE with the right power and cooling and everything. And if I'm not gonna take advantage of that myself, Maybe I need to go to a hoster or a service provider or use services that use those technologies because they're going to be much more energy efficient and, in theory, should be a lot cheaper than what I could do in house too.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, now, Greg, speaking, you know, Stu mentioned uh, Cumulus. Cumulus is a uh, some guys we've had on the show, but your your buddy Michael Dell made a deal with them this week where he's <laughs> he, you know he's basically Hi, he's basically saying I'm going to take um, Cumulus, you know these guys who make uh, network software, right? They're in essence they're going after like Cisco's iOS market, yep. and he's going to put it on top of the networking hardware that he bought. So, you know, it it kind of begs the question, like, what what is Dell's strategy going to be around these types of things? Are they going to be a hardware company per se? Are they uh, are they a hardware innovator? Are they are they just a supplier when they make deals like this? Like, wh- where do you because th- you cover Dell pretty pretty uh, you pay attention to them quite a bit, you know. Like, where where are they going with these thing, kind of moves?
1: Yeah, I think they're reinventing themselves. Like a lot of companies are right now. If you look at IBM, for example, they're dramatically reinventing themselves. Yeah. Uh, I think Dell's doing the same thing, and I think that was the primary driver for them going private. And I applaud them for doing that. I, I think they the changes they have to make, they had to do that without the scrutiny of being a publicly traded company. I think that's what probably is going to distinguish them from HP moving forward. Right. That you know, HP can't make those. They they can't turn that ship as quite as fast now as Dell can. And I think that's I think I think all all of this that that Dell is doing is, is kind of uh, you know obviously part of that plan that Michael has to, to reshape the company and refocus the company.
0: Yeah, they're doing a lot of they've made between what they announced this week and then what they announced at their conference. It's a lot of interesting partnerships, and you sort of wonder is that their new model where it's. Go after sort of cool technology through partnerships and leverage their, I guess, enterprise sales force and mid market, you know, channel based sales force and just sort of be almost almost disrupt the supply chain and become more of an integrator than a than a vendor per se. I don't know. I, I mean that's know. our
1: cloud strategy too, right? Yeah. I mean so it which I think is really interesting. And I I don't know how it's gonna work out for them and I, I don't want to make any predictions about it, but I think it's an interesting model. They're doing something that other folks in the industry aren't doing.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, it yeah. kind of goes back to I mean, Dell supply chain was always one of their advantages in the PC business, and you're, you're right, they're making a lot of interesting partnerships today. Um, almost competing against some of their other businesses, right? You know, if I'm going to buy Cumulus Linux on the operating system, that kind of disrupts some of the software that they bought with Force 10. Right. Uh, there's partnerships that they have on uh, you know st- storage that compete against some of their internal products, and you know, Dell's got pretty thin margins. If you look at who still has x86 Servers, you know, Dell's probably got the the leanest margins out there. You know, HP's the other one that uh, you know is trying to stay with that market. Right, right, yeah. And that's the question: can they
0: can they make enough money or enough margins with given all the debt that they now have as a as a private company to to get ahead of that thing? Um, but that'll be an, that'll be an interesting one to watch because they're definitely taking a very different approach to the market, um, kind of on a uncharted water, sort of, or at least you know, in traditional Dell model, sort of disrupting the supply chain, trying to, trying to take a different path. Now, somebody that you guys both cover, or at least an area you guys both cover, we talked a little bit about IBM getting out of the x86 business. Cisco sort of kind of got in the storage business this week <laughs> and didn't really. And what, what was your guys' take on, on, on the whiptail sort of kind of announcement and then pulling things off the, off the wire and so forth?
1: You know, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Uh, or, I, Well, I shouldn't say that. I Trust me, I love drama in enterprise tech. But I don't see this. I, I think um, other folks are making a bigger deal out of this than it is. Um, you know, from what, what I've read in the press about this, Whiptail and, and Cisco is pretty committed to keeping this part of the UCS fabric. So if that's true, if, that, if that's their go-to-market strategy, and I don't know if it is or not, but let's assuming at face value that it is, I really don't see seeing, seeing it being that disruptive. Uh, the only question mark I have about this whole EMC-Cisco thing is VCE. It, 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 I, I, if there's one company that defies gravity, that does things on paper that you say you can't do that, it's VCE. And, and they seem to skate through a lot of controversy well, the, v-
0: VCE is interesting because when, when they made the announcement that they said, we're going we're gonna to kind of align ourselves to the Cisco ACI, you know, NCMA networking, they kind of made this statement that said, Cisco's our networking company, we're going to go with that, right, more so than, say, the VMware approach to it. And they've, they've sort of said EMC's our storage company. So it'll be interesting to see if Cisco keeps pushing Whiptail as part of the compute then do they put VCE in a weird position because obviously, like EMC is going to want things like Extreme IO and Scale IO and various storage things? But Whiptail's technology previously was, you know, looked Pretty much like extreme I/O or pure, or something. I mean, it was a all flash array, right? Well, if we
1: believe what they say about VCE, it's very clear that EMC is the storage piece. Yeah. Cisco's the networking piece, and VMware is the virtualization piece. Well, and Cisco's and I,
0: the and Cisco's the compute
1: piece. Uh, the right? compute piece. I'm sorry, you're right. Well, and so I I don't, I don't see them. I don't see I don't see them blurring those lines at all. What, what, but it, just, it it just drives me nuts to think about each of those vendors have channel partners that compete with VCE. Yeah. And that's what defies logic in my mind, is, is how, how, are the, how are the channel programs holding together right. uh, when they're competing against the, the vendors they're working with? It, it and, defies well, and we, logic.
0: And we've, and we've seen this, you know, whether it was, you know, EMC and Dell and that partnership and, or it was Cisco and HP, yep. you know, at some point when they start sort of buying those assets or, you know, moving away from previous partnerships, like, they, they, people tend to get excited about owning an entire stack, I mean, Stu, you you deal with these guys quite a bit.
2: I'm not looking for insight, but I mean,
0: what's your your read from even like when it was first
2: announced? So, yeah, I mean, I I wrote it up the day it was announced. I I talked to Whiptail for a couple of years. Uh, Obviously, I've covered Cisco and VCE pretty intensely. Um, You know, talking to Cisco, you know, this week... One of the things that you know they really were stressing that this is part of UCS. The name of the product is no longer Whiptail; it is now UCS Invicta. And by the way, if you try to call it Invicta, they're like, "No, no, no! It's UCS Invicta." This is just <laughs> you know, it, you're right. You know, it's the marketing term. This is just part of the fabric of the, the network of the uh, of the UCS. It's managed by the UCS, um, and so you know, it, it's all part of there. So you know, is there competition between Cisco and EMC? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know. You know, I, I worked at EMC for ten years and the first time I went out to San Jose, you know, sitting across the table from from Cisco and they're like, Don't you think we're competitors? And you know, <laughs> us storage guys kind of looked at the network guys and were like, you know, storage is not just a protocol that runs over a wire. This is a complicated thing. <laughs> storage industry I mean, Greg we've been right. the storage people have been fighting for how many decades and it is so fragmented. You look at the pie chart of the vendors in storage and it is just all out war all the time and nobody is, is dominated in anything. So, you know, is, is Cisco going to step on a couple of toes and are there groups inside of Cisco, uh, that are rooting against VMware and EMC? Absolutely. But, you know, as you guys said, you know, VCE is going strong. They've got, uh, you know, it's strong revenue. Um, you know, I, I didn't have a chance to read the EMC earnings this week on it, but you know, it was it was well over a billion dollars worth of revenue that VCE is doing, and they're just you know chugging along. Yeah. So you know, and it's it's not only the EMC relationship. You I mean you look at Cisco, they've got billions of dollars of networking pro. Products that they are selling, and UCS especially with their partnerships with EMC, with NetApp, with HDS, with Nimble and Nimbus and TGILE and everybody else out there. So you know, while Cisco did alienate. Uh, all their server partners back when they launched UCS. Um, I, I think it's going to be really hard for them to go full hog into storage, despite the fact that Flash is critically important to the compute, and therefore they've got to have that UCS Invicta piece to be able to build some architectures from the compute layer. Yep. Yep. And Brian,
1: I, I think that you're – look, people are going to call me crazy. I think at some point Cisco and EMC are going to merge I think it's inevitable. I think it's either going to be the bloodiest divorce you've ever seen, or or it's going to be uh, this Uber marriage to create the next IBM.
0: Yeah, it, 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 you know the the thing I was looking at some numbers the other day, and and you know you look at the big six or seven or eight kind of enterprise vendors. I mean they're all sitting there with with somewhere between ten and forty or fifty billion dollars. So I mean it's not. It it is crazy, but it's not completely crazy that something big could happen now. Whether yeah. it's whether it's that or something else, who knows? But there's a lot of people sitting on a lot of cash that, um, you know, oh, yeah. the, 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 the game is getting very interesting, as they say. So, so so kind of staying in that space, you, you know, Stu, you talked about flash. We we sort of have these three big trends going on around whether it's infrastructure or storage. You've got all flash. You've got hyperconverged and you've got software defined and you've got folks like pure just picked up 150 million dollars nutanix just picked up 100 million dollars you've got people freaking out about you know uh, vmware potentially getting into the storage game with things like vsan like which uh, of those things what do you see as the most disruptive are they are they all really disruptive is this you know, I know Greg. You talked to you were talking to Chad about it. You know, kind of the, the dollars and cents of it. What, what are you seeing? Because you guys cover the storage space even more than I do. What, which which one of these
2: is the big one to watch? So, if you limit it to all flash and hyperconverged and software defined, um, Brian, I'm not ready to say either any of those are, are the top ones. Um, when you look at how much revenue the top guys are making in this, it is still very small compared to, uh, you know, if you look, Amazon Web Services, uh, you know, estimates are they did a billion dollars last quarter. You know, that's huge. I mentioned yeah. VCE did over you know is kind of a kind billion, billion and a half last year. Um, you know, love some of the hyperconvergence technologies. You know, they're getting in the range of a hundred million dollars a year. Um, the all-flash arrays are a small part of the overall flash market. I mean, flash is huge. If I was to take flash, is you know that this major wave that's totally changing the way uh, that storage architectures are going. We're five years into it, and we still think there's a lot to go um i, I so, think you've yeah go ahead go ahead so
0: if so if we were to, let's say we were to jump ahead two or three years it should should cloud storage be on this list more so than any of those or is it still you know a lot of disk fronted by a little bit of acceleration somewhere i mean like what does the storage landscape look like i don't know two or three years from now even yeah is it, so is it, is it so fragmented that you can't really
2: pick or does it, does it feel like it's moving in a certain direction so, I mean, we put a stake in the ground at Wikibon. We put, put together a new market definition for what we call server SAN, and this is kind of the combination of hyperconverged, these flash architectures, and built around, uh, you know, server-based storage, which is leveraging flash and disk, and it's software-based. So the hyperconvergence guys definitely fit into this uh you mentioned like vmware vsan fits into this emc scale io uh and and some of the cloud type solutions would definitely fit into these architectures cuz it it aligns more with what you see uh from the cloud storage solutions out there um and even amazon or ceph uh, from ink tank and gluster from red hat some of the other projects out there so you know we think that's huge um whether that's going to be you know big 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 in the next 2 or 3 years uh you know we're probably saying more like 4 or 5 before it's really you know uh, c- competing strongly dollar-wise with you know traditional storage arrays, um, but uh, you know we're we're trying to wrap up some of the market uh, uh, forecasts on that too.
0: Yeah, I mean, Greg, like you guys, HD, your company HDS had a had a big announcement about doing like object storage for one of the large service providers. I think it was uh, I think it was like Verizon or something. Yeah, it, Verizon Terabark. That's the that's the one segment of storage, at least from sort of. Folks that have been in storage for a while, traditional storage that doesn't get talked about, is that is that kind of the dark horse? I mean, you think about all the new applications, how much you know, how many billions of objects people like Amazon talk about. I mean, is, is object yeah. the, the next big thing that that people aren't really talking about that much?
1: Oh, it, it absolutely is. But here's, the, I think the challenge, the way I look at this is, I think you're going to see more relationships and partnerships with the service providers that. Um, are at, at scale leveraging object storage. I think it's going to take a little bit of time for that to, to um, bleed into the enterprise, but I think there are features of object storage um, that are very attractive right now, and, and if you look across the space, in, including HDS, uh, I think every major vendor's got a sync and share technology that's based on object storage. Yep. Um, but when you look at, you, know, you mentioned uh, you know all flash arrays, hyperconvergence, software-defined, let me tease you with this. HDS is going to be making a very significant announcement on April 23rd okay. that well pull together uh, all three of those elements. Wow. <laughs> so, so from an, from an HDS perspective, uh, we're, uh, I guess the right way to phrase it, is very optimistic for all, all of those technologies. Right. I think the interesting thing that you brought up is where does cloud fit into this and, and, and from a disruptive perspective. And I still think, and, and I'm very bullish, I've not been shy about this, I'm very bullish on OpenStack. Um, not just because HDS is a partner into that, but I really believe that the, the way the ecosystems come together. I've talked with some very, very large enterprises that and I, I'm, I would. I think it's safe to bet if you look at the at the top fifty companies in the U.S., every single one of them either has an open stack implementation, they're testing it, or they're exploring uh, it right now. And I think – because a lot of people say, well, let's talk about the enterprise. Let's talk about real-world adoption of OpenStack. And it's there. It's real. Whether you choose to look at it or not is – I think the pundits kind of selectively look at OpenStack one way and AWS another way. But uh, the reality is every major company is looking at OpenStack right now. And that has the potential of being really disruptive.
0: Now, when you say look – So, so kind of clarify that because that's the, that's the one weird thing about OpenStack is, is it's always, you know, people want to ask, you know, where it's being deployed, who's using it, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, a lot of the names, the early names, the ones that you hear tend to be technology companies. It's, um, you know, technology centric groups or technology companies. So you're, you're kind of hearing even, you know, grassroots and behind the scenes, it's you know, it's companies like Walmart or General Motors or, or Nationwide Insurance. I mean, companies that, are, that you wouldn't necessarily immediately say their core business is technology, technology like, you know, uh, you know, web-driven stuff or gaming. You're, you're hearing that more and more? Absolutely. In fact, I know for a fact, and you named a, a few of those companies that I, I know
1: at a very personal level um, have very big budgets and are planning and architecting right now, Large-scale OpenStack deployments.
0: Interesting. Are you hearing the same sort of thing, Stu? Or are you still hearing sort of <sighs> moderate?
2: Yeah. So uh, you know, I'd say we, we've got one of those big air gaps. Uh, you know, Greg mentioned uh, AWS, and when I was at AWS Summit. Um, it really felt like some of those early days. I remember back to you know Microsoft in the '90s or VMware ten years ago. Um, but you know the deployments uh, for for Amazon today are you know test dev environments and lots of new architectures. So stuff that's really designed for mobile. It's all those web type things. It's not the old applications. And what what I think I was hearing is you know some of the companies that are trying to you know really cloudify um, you know their existing environments are are looking at OpenStack for you know, part of the solution there. Uh, We just did, we did an event yesterday looking at OpenStack uh, for the enterprise and it was still big companies like, you know, eBay and Internap uh, and ones that aren't your kind of, you know, Non web enterprise companies. So, you know, I I think it's still early on OpenStack. I'm, uh, you know, cautiously optimistic, uh, for it. Uh, you know, we were impressed at what we saw the progress go, uh, at, uh, you know, the OpenStack summit last year. Uh, and, you know, OpenStack, I think, is making real good progress, but, you know, Amazon is much further along and they've got a on a revenue, I mean, I, I just look at, you know, how many companies are adopting it, uh, and, you know, I would be more likely to, I, I wouldn't put OpenStack in the same category as AWS today. I'd say Azure has some nice solutions out there, Office 365 is doing great, Google is quite interesting, but OpenStack is not proven to me uh, for most deployments. I, you know, I, we, there's a great ecosystem around it, absolutely a lot of people rooting for it, but, you know, it could make it or it could fall apart, yeah. and I'm not sure.
0: Now, now, Greg, do you think a lot of those folks that you're that you're talking to or you're hearing, do you think they're going to kind of come come out public this, this year? I mean, do you think we'll hear about more and more of them or do you think they're kind of staying low because either they're just one of those companies that, that don't talk about it or they're still not sure if they want to, you know, kind of put themselves out in the limelight?
1: No, I think, I'll, well, look, I, I, let's put it this way. If you're looking at a... Long term project that would probably, it's probably the roadmaps I'm seeing are 12 to 18 months out to completion. What's there to talk about? What's there to announce? I guarantee you, every major vendor knows about those accounts and knows the activity that's going on in those accounts. They can't talk about it either. I can't mention, I can't drop names. Sure, sure, sure. but I can tell you that that activity is going on, and I think every major, even at EMC, they, you know, I'm sure internally yep. you guys, you know, where the bodies are buried too, right? So these implementations are real. I don't know if, if it's it's not really in their interest to go out there wave the OpenStack flag, right? I mean, pick a, pick any one of those companies, and it's really they're they're keeping their heads down. They're they're architecting these solutions right now. They're kind of putting together these designs. Um, I think some of them are rolling out departmental level uh, uh, OpenStack uh, deployments. But I I don't think it's fair to compare OpenStack to to AWS right now, because Stu is right. AWS is way far ahead uh, of OpenStack. I don't think anybody would would debate that. Where, Where I like to do the comparison, one of the things I've been kind of pounding away at is private cloud in general versus public clouds in general. And every survey I see shows private clouds they're both first of all they're both growing so i'm not trying to throw aws under the bus aws is doing great they're growing fantastically the but i, I an argument has to be made that private cloud is absolutely growing at a faster rate than public cloud they're both growing it's and it's not a zero sum game and i think some people i think um And, and Stu, I'm not referencing you specifically. I'm actually thinking of of, of, uh, an entirely different company. There are some analysts that look at this and and, and view this as a zero-sum game, that if Amazon's growing, they're doing it at the expense of uh, the traditional infrastructure companies. And I don't think that's true. I I, I think they're both growing.
0: Yeah, how do you think – you know, I'm I'm curious. So, Greg, you've kind of come out in a couple of things saying you think – you know exactly what you're saying, which is I think you're gonna keep seeing the growth of private cloud and and that's gonna take off Stu, I know uh you know dave and and John and you to a certain extent have like you said you' been fairly bullish on aWS especially after reinvent like r- regardless of you know maybe maybe which one of those actually comes at, like how do you how do you think what's a what's a decent way for the industry to sort of be measuring that and you know do we look at it as? you know, the pie's getting bigger. Do we look at it as it's, it is a zero sum game and it's taking one from the other or like what, as you're thinking about those, like what sort of milestones or metrics do you use to kind of, I don't know, validate if your thinking's right?
2: Yeah, no, that, that's a great question, Brian. And, and, and first of all, as, as you know, we, we've been bullish on cloud overall. It's not just you know public cloud. We think hybrid cloud uh, is the way most companies are going. Excuse me. Um, and, uh, you know, it really depends on your application. So, we've been covering a lot of, you know, the private cloud solutions that are going out there. So, covering the shows, covering what they're doing. So, it, you're, you're right. It's tough uh, to kind of decide, you know, h- how do we measure a metric? Because, uh, you know, to Greg's point, private cloud's growing. But if I go to look at, you know, NetApp or EMC or Hitachi or Dell or IBM, um, trying to define what is a private cloud and what is just kind of a repackaged version of what they had before, uh, it's... It's a little difficult. Yeah. Um, as opposed to public cloud, it's pretty easy for me to see here's, well, Amazon's not quite sharing it, um, but, you know, SoftLayer is a separate product in IBM, uh, you know, and we can go to the service providers and see what they're doing. So measuring private clouds is difficult. Um, so you know, I, I think, you know, one of the things we'd measure really is are people making a migration with their applications because as we know that's one of the big differences between the private cloud and the public cloud is you know am I I'm, am I just taking what I have and pushing it somewhere um, or am I redesigning what I had uh, so you know th- there, there's comp- there's people that measure that kind of the software adoption the, the refreshes there and, and the architectural changes so you know if we see companies like pivotal really starting to, you know, grow and make traction, um, you know, I I think we're going to see less in, you know, private data centers. Uh, And that's, I think, you know, a great debate is, you know, if we look out five years from now, is it going to be 20% in the public cloud or 20% in the private cloud? And, you know, it's it's exciting times to watch this space.
0: Yeah. Are you, Greg, are you, are you kind of, uh, try and be kind of a purist in terms of the definition of private cloud, or how do you, like...
1: No, you I, I think even... that's
0: tough, and I think
1: I think it's a little unfair, too. And I'll, and I'll reference that. There was a recent Forrester report that I, I saw that kind of validated the growth of private cloud, but the caveat to that was uh, when they asked them about specific features of a private cloud. Uh, let's use uh, uh, self-service as an example. Well, not... E- and I know I'm going to get lots of blowback for this. I think if you're incorporating elements of that, of the traditional uh, definition of, of what a cloud is, but you're not doing all of them yet, the way, you, you, the way you've deployed it helps you deliver IT as a service internally. And, and, and that's good enough for you to call it a private cloud. I think that's good enough. And, this, it reminds me, probably uh, I don't know. Stu would probably know. I would say probably going back eight years ago, when people were trying to measure the adoption of virtualization, and they said, you know, and, and people were splitting hairs. Are you, are you? Well, you're not really putting mission critical apps on VMware. You, you know, you're only putting you know, your, your second tier or third tier apps on it, and trying to try to split hairs and make all these distinctions. When at the end of the day, look look at where we at where we're at in the enterprise as far as virtualization goes. Are we? We're not splitting those hairs anymore. And yeah. I think the same thing is true for private cloud. I think, you know, we can, we, it, 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 and I, I realize why it happens. We've got to apply some sort of criteria to the measurement so that we can be accurate in what we're talking about when we talk about adoption. But I, I think it's a little unfair, um, you know, that, that if you can't check off every box off the list of how you define a cloud, then it's not a cloud. I, I think it's it's a higher level than that. I think it's about d- delivering IT as a service. Um, by the definitions that are established by that enterprise, not by an analyst.
0: Yeah, no, I, I can hear that. It's you know, it's sort of you know, it's kind of like uh, people getting crazy about diets. And if your goal is to lose ten pounds, do you have to be a you know full blown P ninety X Paleo, or can you just right. run a little bit more and then lose ten pounds and? Uh, so, well, I, I, I want to I touch on one last thing, and, and it's sort of two things. You know, there was, a, there was an announcement today, or at least a semi-leak announcement, that, that Microsoft's got a new CEO. Um, unfortunately, I don't think it's, it's your buddy, Greg Farley, although we, you know, we might Mark enjoy Farley. that. Mark Farley. <laughs> Mark Farley. Mike Farley. I had Farley on my mind, and I, I've got that common name thing on my mind. But, yeah, so it's not Mark. Um, but it's uh, it's this guy Satya Nadella, which is going to take me a while to get used to. Um, that's coming from their cloud group, which is I've seen him speak. He's a you know he's a fantastic speaker. He's obviously yeah. an incredibly intelligent guy and articulate and, and well thought. But he also comes from the group that loses the absolute most amount of money for Microsoft. <laughs> so what is, is I mean like? I, and I, and is I, that more know, than the gaming division? Well, I think it's I think it's all under online or you know, but. <laughs> I mean what is, what does this you know if it, if it turns out to be true like what is it what does it say about Microsoft I mean is this is this one of those moments where they go you know what the world is is, is flipping over to online services and and we're going to get serious about it or is this just the best guy they could find because they couldn't get the guy from Ford and all these, I mean like what, what at a high level what does what does a hire like this say about where Microsoft's going
1: Who wants to take that first? <laughs> Go ahead, Greg, I'll let you start. I, I think it's outstanding, if, if it's true, I think it's an outstanding move for Microsoft. It, it really kind of sends the signal about this is where we're heading yeah. as a company. Now, you know, privately, I, I kind of think about and I I, I, I still uh, think about this on, on both sides of the coin. A lot of folks have speculated that Microsoft might be better being split up and where they can focus um, on all their different competencies, uh, better as opposed to the one Microsoft strategy, um, and I think that's kind of interesting. I, I guess I'm, I guess I'm less inter- interested in who the CEO is, and more interested in: Are we going to see a, a one Microsoft strategy, or are we going to start seeing um, some of these different groups inside the company uh, start acting more independently?
2: Right. Right. More, yeah. And, and, and I, I guess my take on this is, you know, it, it's. It's kind of interesting, especially for those of us in the enterprise space, that you've got a guy that knows enterprise. Uh, The big question I would have is, you know, we really haven't seen a company that's able to span between enterprise and consumer and do it well. It's just failing everywhere. Uh, So, you know, to Greg's point, you know, absolutely, it might make some sense to split it up, but, you know, Not sure that that's going to happen. And, you know, I talked to a couple of friends of mine that really track Microsoft closely, and they're disappointed that Microsoft didn't go outside for this um, because they they felt Microsoft needed some new blood. Um, But, you know, I mean cloud, obviously, you know, we're, we're keeping a close eye on it. Uh, I, I interviewed Brad Anderson, uh, earlier this, uh, uh, this month and, uh, you know, he said, you know, Microsoft spent $15 billion on building their cloud. Of course, that includes things like the Skype acquisition and everything they're doing with Azure and other acquisitions. So, um, you know, we'd love to see, you know, what happens here.
0: Yeah, I mean they're an interesting I mean obviously they they they've got more money than God. They they know how to make money. They continue to make money. <laughs> I, you know, I mean of any of any of these guys other than maybe Google, they they have the most cash. And like you said Greg, if they if they broke themselves up, you know, some of those divisions are are pretty interesting from a competitive perspective, but you know, the other thing that that'll be interesting is they're going to have to figure out do they just completely scrap this whole plan that Ballmer had? You know, this sort of, we're going to be a services and hardware or services and devices company. Yeah. And go back to being a software company.
2: You know? you know,
1: I think the really interesting thing here, and uh, word has started to leak out tonight, that Gates is gone. And, you know, of course, I, my love for drama in this industry, if, if, if Microsoft was going to get broken up, the first step of that would have to be Gates leaving.
0: Yeah. So
1: I don't. Want, you can't read too much into that. I mean, change is going to happen eventually, um, but I think you know this could be one of many signals that we see that gives us some indication of the direction Microsoft's going to go in the future.
0: Yeah, could be, could be. Now, now let me let me ask you this, just from an enterprise perspective, is it a, is it a good thing or a, or a bad thing that we're seeing all these sort of major enterprise companies now also? You know, owning their own cloud, or is it just a natural evolution? I mean, Oracle's kind of you know doubling down on the Oracle cloud, SAP's doubling down on the SAP cloud, Microsoft has sort of you know been getting their act together. For, I mean, is is that a good thing? Does that is that something that just sort of becomes table stakes, and and everybody who wants to be a major player has to have their own cloud? Or what, what's your guys' take on this? Has this become the new silos of the of the enterprise?
1: I think it, the more the merrier, and you know, and i think what it does is it demonstrates that there's <laughs> that aws doesn't define the cloud and i think that's an important message and I, and, and, and the fact that you've got so many players in the space and they're going to come and go right some are going to drop out some are going to you know, uh, obviously you IDM, continue to start somewhere yep yeah people are going to come in and out of this game and i think it's i think it's good for innovation and i think it's good for the enterprise and ultimately it's
2: good for the end user um, so let me give a slightly differing point. Uh, you know, I'm all for competition, but you know, we really think that you know, like the idea of some more of a community clouds. If you look at if I can bring together people with similar data needs uh, and be able to have access to it. So the New York Stock Exchange, uh, you know, has been talked about a lot as to how they've got uh, their industry data together. If I can go to some of these mega data centers like a switch or an Equinix uh, who direct connects into Amazon or uh, you know, others that can build data centers where, I might even be having my private information that, you know, I maintain it. I choose what equipment I have, but be able to cross connect to a uh, large amounts of data. Uh, we think that's uh, pretty powerful. And if there's a hundred big clouds out there, that's going to be tougher to do. Uh, so we would see a fewer number of, of large clouds being able to benefit leveraging that data. Um, not saying that, you know, everything goes to necessarily Amazon or Google, but, uh, you know, it, it's tough to move information around, uh, and therefore, uh, you know, we, we see, think that there should be smaller number of players ultimately, um, or at least some aggregators that pull some of these together. There's there's some of those you know kind of cloud consortiums out there uh, right. that can help interconnect uh, what what's happening out there.
0: Yeah, and and those may end up being big OpenStack clouds if they get their their interoperability right together. Woohoo! There you go. <laughs> there's
2: interoperability in OpenStack. <clears> oh, <throat> <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: wow.
2: Well, c- come on, Randy Bias is going to listen, and, you know, <laughs> come on, guys.
1: Look Randy, well,
2: look, Randy is
1: super intelligent, I have a lot of respect for him. And, you know, that whole API debate, I kind of was, like, completely polar opposite from him, and I was very naive about it. But you hear Randy explain, you know, the benefits of, of an OpenStack API uh, that was compatible with Amazon, not as a means of migrating to Amazon, but how about migrating off of it? And I think that that really got me opening up my opinion on this a little bit because you see a lot of test dev work happening in AWS. And I think one of the challenges that you see is how do companies uh, that that get past that test dev stage but they want to bring it in-house, how are they doing that? And I see that possibly being one of the keys to it. Who was it, Stu, uh, at the conference yesterday that, uh, that made the, the comment that uh, – they wouldn't be surprised if uh, if AWS did at some point uh, adopt OpenStack APIs.
2: Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I wasn't. I'm not sure if it was Chris Kemp. Yep, that's what I thought. So uh, yeah, and uh, I think the fake Andy Jassy account like that one. So uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but I mean, but that's it, That's the kind of dynamic that's taking place here now, right? And that's the, that's in terms of how people are looking at it. And the interesting thing is, that AWS keeps their information very you know close to the best. We so we don't know what this what the this typical or average size of of those instances inside of AWS are, how many real customers they actually have, and the size of those customers. But there, I, I think there's a fair amount of speculation that that's probably right. That you know a majority of that is is at the test dev level, and there's something to be said about okay. If that if it's just test dev, how do we bring it into into production if we're gonna bring that in house? And I think that's part of the opportunity for private cloud. OpenStack too obviously would benefit from that.
2: Yeah, and I mean to build on that point, Greg, you know, even if we're not talking test dev, you know, there there always comes this point where you say, Do I want to rent this or do I want to own this? Yeah so you know, eucalyptus has been working with Amazon for, you know, many years on this and you know, we need to be able to, you know, no matter what cloud I choose I, I need to understand kind of that data portability um so that you know if my cloud shuts down or I change or I want to have uh you know switch to a different vendor for functionality or price or whatever uh, I can move that and you know the, we we've had this vision for a while that cloud should be much more flexible for allowing me to go in and out and we're really not you know taking too much advantage of that yet yeah not yet
0: Yep, long way to go. So last question, Stu, I'll ask the last question to you guys. Thanks so much for the for the conversation tonight. Uh, Super Bowl's coming up. Um, my team and Greg's team are, are so far out of this week. I don't know. That, <laughs> Greg, I don't, Greg, I don't know that you care. Stu, I know you're a, you're a diehard Patriots fan. Give us give us some sense of what's it like to root for a good NFL team? Cause Greg and I have no idea. No, absolutely no clue.
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I grew up a Yankees fan, so, you know, most people, uh, outside of the greater New York area, uh, hate us. Um, so you kind of, You know, when the late 90s, you kind of built up the, you know, era of them winning and winning and winning. Uh, And it's kind of like, well, uh, you know, I've got enough pennants sitting in my basement that it's great. And for the Patriots, you know, having won three Super Bowls and been back to another two, uh, it's been pretty amazing. So, you know, I've been blessed to be a season ticket holder during the era of Tom Brady. Um, But uh, I'm still going to be rooting against Peyton Manning uh, this Sunday.
0: All right. Well, with that, anybody got any good Super Bowl uh, party plans, or uh, just going to watch the game and hang out? No, I just
1: have one prediction. No matter what happens in the Super Bowl, the Browns
0: still lose. <laughs> I, would, I would agree with that.
2: Yeah, I agree Greg. With that. Uh, you know, uh, my my wife's got a, a sweatshirt for the Browns that you know, just in my lifetime, one please. Oh, you know?
0: <laughs> well, that's right. Your wife's a Browns fan, so she can sympathize with Greg. Well, guys, with that, I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, for Aaron, who's not here tonight, but uh, thanks you guys very much for being on. Um, thanks for finally coming on. Um, I, I shouldn't I say that as if like you guys weren't available. It's on us. Thank you very much for coming. We have to get you back on more frequently. Uh, appreciate the uh, appreciate the conversation tonight. Um, where can folks find you guys uh, both in your in what you do day to day and online and so forth.
2: All right, so uh, this is uh, Stu Miniman. Uh, I'm at Stu. It's just S-T-U on Twitter. Uh, I'm not sure if it's worth $50,000 or more, uh, the poor N guy. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a regular on Twitter. And uh, primary place to find me, uh, my writing is uh, wikibon.org. Uh, and uh, I've got a personal blog. I don't write too much anymore. Uh, but if you just also Google Stuart Miniman, uh, you'll find me because there's only one of me in the world. Cool.
1: That's great. And I've got a blog on HDS.com. I've also got a video series called I.O. on HDS.com. Actually, uh, uh, we've got a new set of videos that are rolling out over the next three months, Uh, the first one in a couple weeks. And I'm also on Twitter, at Nearman. And if you can figure out how to spell my last name, you win.
0: (laughs) And, of course, uh, Speaking in Tech, still going strong?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, SpeakinginTech.com. Is accessible that way too. Yeah, still still being distributed by the register and still going strong.
0: Very very cool. Well, guys, thank you so much, Uh, folks. uh, If you like the show, please tell a friend or uh, pass it along um, at thecloudcast.net or at thecloudcast.net on Twitter or thecloudcast.net on the web. Thank you very much for everybody tonight, and have a great night.